Welcome to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Get ready for the latest veterinary news, information and entertainment. Don't forget to visit us at the Vet Gurus website, vetgurus.com. Now, sit back, relax, it's over to the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Yes, Brendan here with Mark. It is episode 163, 163, Mark, Friday the 20th of November 2020. Hello to all our listeners, vetgurus.com. Please go there, send us an email, vetgurus at gmail.com, and say hello. And I'll quickly throw this in while I remember, Mark, the country with one listener, because we still haven't had any of these people from the country with one listener um, list contact us and this week mark it is bosnia and herzegovina we have one listener there so please reach out to it say hello to us because we're rapidly running out mark we've i think we've only got about five more countries and we'll have to jump up to all the people all the countries with two listeners or subscribers <laughs> do you think do you think that um that those the people in that in countries with one listener, that they binge listeners that listen to us, and so they haven't realised that we're doing it yet. Do you think there's a possibility that's going on? Well, either that or they listen. They think it's just crap, and they <laughs> turn it off. I think that's more likely. Yeah, the two main <laughs> options. Yeah, um, <laughs> there might be something in between, but who knows? We well. Maybe we will know soon when one of those people contact us. So please, <laughs> metgurus at gmail.com. Say hello, hello. So, Mark, yeah, um, any news? What have, what's been happening? Well, Brendan, I've been at my board meetings these last couple of days and I thought, um, you know, a lot of the stuff that we get to do there is confidential. Um, and um, But I did think I would just mention... Um, one of the things at, at our New South Wales board that's a rising issue that we've had to deal with um, yes. in terms of generating complaints um, is, uh, um, is consent with teeth. The dental procedures um, have been increasingly um, causing problems as people worry about teeth being extracted. Um, and this is in multiple species. So um, I have spent the last couple of days um, uh, talking about this, and I know our board communications have it, but I just thought I'd mention um, uh, mention it to you and see if you're aware of what uh, sort of things happen in Victoria over the, the border. Do you um, find that consent for extraction of teeth? People uh, um, bring their, uh, particularly dogs, I suppose, into the veterinary hospital. They have horrible mouths. They uh, do get a dental done, but then they don't realise that the horrible mouth is an indication that some teeth may be extracted and um, and they're a bit, um, well, reluctant. Yeah, or, or upset if it does happen. Yes. Well, thinking as you chat about that, yes, I, th- I think compared with years ago, you could say to the client, here's Fido back and we took 15 teeth out and they'd say, oh, did you take that many out? Um, whereas today... These days, yes, I think there's an increasing number of people who you need to phone them up and say, look, Fido's on the table and it looks like we are going to take out um, many teeth and is that okay to do? Um, so do you think there's a particular reason why clients are reluctant for 
for vets to remove those teeth that need to come out or, or to approve that removal? Why? It's a good question, Brendan. I, I think my theory is that there are certain um, features of animals. Another one's the eyes. I'll, I'll, um, but I think owners think that the animals can't do without them and they're not. Maybe it also has a, a, a factor to do with, you know, this is an indication that I haven't looked after them enough or, um, yes. you know, there's, I, but I do think that um, there is definitely a perception that the dogs won't be able, dogs in particular, won't be able to cope um, if the if all those teeth are extracted. And the other thing... Um, I find the same if I have a client when I remove a limb. Yeah, yeah. They go home with three legs and they say, gee, why'd you take that one leg off? Uh, I said, well, it had to come off, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Always good to get some permission before you do that, Brent. Perhaps, yes. <laughs> Sorry, I interrupted there. Um, yeah, but no, I think it's a, a, a perception of uh, perfection that um, I, I need my animal to be perfect and if it doesn't have any teeth, then it won't be able to eat normally. Um, of course, you and I both know that um, that, <laughs> that an absence of teeth won't stop any dog from, from uh, consuming its uh, fair share of food. And, and the other thing I think particularly... Or trying to bite the vet... <laughs> particularly for many of the small white fluffy dogs, um, is that the tongue, If particularly if uh, some of those incisors or the lower canines are missing, that tongue will loll out and you know, people do get worried that, um, that uh, the dry tongue and, um, and rather silly look that uh, a tongue flopping out of the mouth perpetuates, changes the personality of their dog when... We know, and it's a hard thing to explain all that stuff after the fact. It's good to manage their expectations before a dental procedure, I reckon. Well, this is a perfect introduction to our main topic, isn't it, Mark? Client communication and some some examples of that. Um, so we're sort of jumping ahead to our main topic. But, yes, um, I think there is. it's interesting that it seems like there's a big increase in those, those complaints regarding dental. So... The important thing is making sure you have those consent forms filled out, but also communicating effectively and and frequently to clients, and and not being afraid of contacting them during the procedure and 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 updating them about what's happening with the animal. Um, I mean, you can to a certain extent with some of those dentals, can't you? You can tell that we're going to remove multiple teeth and you tell the client beforehand that that's almost certainly what's going to happen. And um, I think you get a reasonably good feel at that point, don't you, um, whether or not that's a, a big concern with them. And I think um, you're, that it's all to do with expectation that, you know, we're going we're gonna to clean fight those teeth and... Um, and then suddenly in the mind of the owner, that's a completely different thing. Like we understand that to clean Fido's horrible teeth, we're probably going to have to pull some out because they're just being held in by the calculus and tartar. Um, but um, but the, to the owner, it's a complete tectonic shift in, in uh, expectation. And so um, just managing that before they even get to that point is an excellent tactic. Yes. Good point, Mark, and we'll touch on similar sort of communication aspects of, of client communication shortly. Um, I'm going to jump. I've got another review this week, so I'm going to make it a quick one, Mark. Um, and I know I'm on a bit of a run with reviews, and because I just finished a 
a book or actually it's a series of books, um, seven in total. <laughs> and I thought, so just a lazy seven books and many hundreds of thousands of words. And it was a, a series of books that I read when I was a teenager. And for those who are into science fiction, a classic series, a foundation series by Isaac Asimov. And uh, the reason why I decided to reread them is um, Apple TV Plus are in production for a uh, making a, a series based on the novels, which several people have tried to do over over time, but nobody's been game enough to to complete it. So I wanted to reread them, and yes, it. I mean, it was originally three a trilogy: um, Foundation, Foundation, and Empire, and Second Foundation, and they're the ones I'd suggest people read if they want to read them initially, even though that's not the order of the seven books, because then he wrote a couple of books after that and then a couple before that to make it the seven, um, if that's seven, but anyway, seven. Um, and it covers a lazy 10,000 years um, in in history. And, uh, yeah, it's an absolutely classic. And, uh, yeah, a couple of the books are a bit hit and miss, but overall it's an absolute um, cracker of a series. And the first book was written in 1951, Mark, and then he completed the, the seventh one in 1988. So a f- fair period of time over, over writing those seven books. So um, pretty hardcore in certain aspects um, as far as science fiction go, but um, a real science fiction classic series. Um, I'm giving it nine and a half out of ten. There's my review. Wow. So... I'm on to another series of books at the moment, and I'll review those soon. I've been doing a lot of reading, as you know, during during the um, COVID period in 2020. So, um, I'm good habit to get into. I think I think that um, you know, this is me trying to be glass half full. Um, I know the absolute pressure you guys, particularly in Victoria, were put under with the um, the restrictions, how far you could go, and so. But um, it, anything that makes you read more books is a good thing. I've got to say, it is, and it's. I find it very relaxing, and you know, there's must, nothing like a good book. I reckon um, it gets me away from watching Netflix or or TV, and that's a good thing. I think yes. So, first news story, my only news story. Markets are a little bit my like my review, it's a pretty quick one. Um, and 100,000 goldfish have been pulled out from a Minnesota lake in the USA. And there's a video of it that we'll link to. And they think that's not even half the number of goldfish that are there. And the article goes on to say, wildlife officials monitoring a Minnesota lake made a troubling discovery last year when they looked at an, an inlet and they found thousands and thousands of goldfish swimming there. And they're fairly certain that they're um, pet owners who have illegally dumped goldfish initially there. And there's an estimated 500,000 goldfish there, Mark, in the in in the lake, um, and they um, they've been netting um, them on. They've taken about fifty thousand of them out so far. And the method it's quite interesting that they have there. Um, they blasted loud sounds from an underwater speaker to drive the fish into nets, and that, that's how they were catching them. So um, yeah, they've removed a hundred thousand in one week, and the work will continue. So um, I was trying to think of a punchline for this one, but I, I struggled. Um, it, it's it's ripe for a punchline, but um, I've come up a blank at the moment, Mark. But, yeah, pretty amazing, 500,000 goldfish in a lake. That's my news story. So I, it's a bad news story, but um, maybe it'll get better. Um, I don't know what they're going to do with all those goldfish. 
Um, Fertilizer. Yeah, I, I think they're just going to humanely, hopefully, euthanize them and, um, um, yeah, turn them into fertilizer. Um, and there's a video, so it's quite um, amazing video there. So that's my news story. Mark, what have you got? Um, my news story is, um, of course, about the, the New Zealand Bird of the Year um, uh, uh, recent election, and it's um, unsurprisingly and topically characterised by voter fraud, that there is a voter fraud scandal that um, has enveloped the uh, election of um, 2020's New Zealand Bird of the Year. Jeez, um, and this both, I mean, it's topical because obviously there are a number of elections around the world which are undergoing um, the allegation of interference um, but it does seem to me to be something um, I know um, the Australian bird of the year suffered from um, from some uh, interference and um, and even previous iterations of the New Zealand bird of the year uh, was <laughs> copped a little bit of hack apparently in 2018 some rogue Australian actors attempted to pervert the course of the election with um with 310 dodgy votes. Um, but this year it would appear that um, 1,500 votes um, were lodged to try and tilt the scales in the favour of the uh, little spotted Kiwi um, uh, with only 40,000 votes cast altogether. Um, uh, 1,500 is enough to, um, to really make a difference. So um, fortunately the... Uh, Scrutineers have picked up on the fraud. They've uh, tossed the votes out, and um, after a, uh, a fair bit of um, review, the uh, Kakapo was uh, uh, was awarded the crown this year. Um, the uh, scrutineers did say, Brendan, that um, there's been suspicion of Russian interference. <laughs> there was a bit of chatter last year about Russia voting for the Godwit. They are our long-haul flying birds. They migrate from the Arctic Circle where they spend the Kiwi summer and then fly back to the... Uh, where they spend... They fly from the Arctic Circle to New Zealand um, where they spend um, the Arctic winter and then they fly back to the Arctic. Um, yeah, so the Russians voting actually would be voting for their own bird, which is probably more authentic uh -huh. than the Australians who just lob in and try and stuff up the vote. Anyway, there was a, you was, there was a quote in here about, um, about the, wasn't the, um, the recently elected New Zealand um, Prime Minister, didn't she have a little comment to say about the... Well, there's a couple of things. I think it was that it isn't one vote per person. It's actually what, five votes per person. And that's <laughs> why they do it with the the um, voting for the um, New Zealand birds. And, uh, yeah, I can't find the other quote um, regarding the New Zealand Prime Minister. Um, why do you think that person would have wanted or, or that they found out those illegal votes were all between 1 a.m. 1 and 3 a.m. and they tracked it down with the... Um, um, digital detectives deducing that all the illegal votes arrived via email from one computer IP address. So it's obviously <laughs> one person who was doing that. Why do you think they wanted to vote for that one particular bird, Mark? I have, there's so many questions. First of all, of all the things to spend your time, you know, 
changing. Rick, yes, yes. The New Zealand Bird of the Year election, just, I don't know, um, whether it's some disgruntled... Um, Twitter. ecologist um, yeah, on Twitter. Um, I don't, I don't I, maybe they're just, you know, flexing their, their knowledge of bots and trying to, I don't know. I, I have nothing. I got nothing, Brendan. Yes. Um, well, and they do talk about a few years ago, the other time that they had illegal votes was was from Australia where they wanted to get the shag um, as the winner and everybody loves a shag, Mark, but we made sure that they got fair and square winner and it wasn't a dodgy Aussie favourite according to this article. <laughs> and so, what about what was the, the Kakapo one this year and it had a particularly – what was the um, – the Yes, the moss chicken. The moss chicken, chicken, of course. Is, is, is the um, critically endangered Kakapo's um, – local um name there not the bin chicken mark the moss chicken so yes so and we will link to the bird of the year 2020 new zealand website which is just bird of the year if you want to go there and um yeah so quite a funny story um and it's so it's not you know illegal votes and and vote rigging is not confined to to um human um elections is it mark so there we go there are two news stories so a bit of fun there and um i think we'll jump into our our main topic which we sort of already started mark and that's um how to communicate with clients and analogies to use when communicating with clients and and ways that we get across um certain diseases and, and processes to them and i think the first one which is one we've said several times mark and that's the old phone call you get from a potential client who who rings up and says look my my species of animal that i have at home i'm a little bit worried about this or that and um can you please help me and it's usually the obviously the reception nurse who answers that phone call and and my comment with the training of the nurses is always the same if you're worried enough to phone up about your animal bring the animal in for a consultation. And I think that's a, a key one, especially if you're dealing with, uh, like we are exotic and unusual pets, in, in that a lot of the um, advice we give is exactly that. It's information and we do a, lots and lots of consultations where we don't dispense any medications. We dispense advice and information about how to care for their animals. And if that person on the phone gets stuck with the first question about how do I feed my rabbit or, you know, when should I desex it or what about um, bathing it, etc. Um, then they'll end up being stuck on the phone for half an hour um, because the person will just keep firing questions to them. So I think the key is to to cut it off at that first, before that first question and say, look, if, if, if you're a new owner for a rabbit, um, bring that animal in, have a consultation with the vet, we'll give you all our handouts on, on how to look after that species and uh, we can have a good health check of your animal. So that's number one or the first one that I want to comment on, Mark. Um, you wanted to talk a bit about one with, 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 with comparing illnesses or, or symptoms in a bird, um, for instance, a bird that's struggling to breathe and, and how, you'd, how do you explain that to a client and compare it to what would happen with somebody if they were struggling to breathe. So what was your analogy for that one, Mark? I was, I, um, was talking to you about um, how we often have 
dyspnate birds that are brought in, the birds that are um, uh, have some salomic disease and can't breathe normally, and they will adopt um, some unusual positions. Um, some of them, like chickens that might have a uh, uh, you know a, a coelomitis and fluid or egg material blocking them up, they'll tip themselves up so that the lungs are above the fluid and it's easier for them to breathe, the so-called penguin stance. Um, but um, a lot of parrots we'll find will um, not be, you know, will have difficulty breathing. They'll do something that uh, uh, entails a bit of exercise and then they'll hold their wings out. Um, and, uh, and this is generally, in my experience, a, um, a sign that the birds are trying harder to fill their airways um, and it's a anatomically changes the neutral position making it easier for them to get air in um, and I often liken it to, um, to you know to a jogger who puts their hands above their head um, to change the neutral position of the human chest so it's easier to get air in and I think these um, analogies or communication hacks Brendan I think um you know, as you said, we're trying to give uh, people so much information, whether it be on the phone or in the consult. And if we have a couple of these just uh, short spiels or short scripts, um, they can often convey a message really well um, and cut down on the time that's spent trying to explain things. So that's one that I find um, I often see the light go on when I talk about joggers putting their hands above their head. Um, where yes. um, and it may not be something that's complete, you know, that's one hundred percent technically correct, but it's getting across that that process or that idea or that that vision that hey, um, this is this is what's happening to my animal. It's it's like that we were talking about the dental disease, um, weren't we? Um, previously, and it's the old, you know, red gums equals a painful mouth, you know, that the dental vets always talk about. And it's always a bit of a light bulb moment when you say that to clients about look at the horrible mouth of your pet. Yes, they know it might smell a bit um, when they get near that breath of that animal. But if you say, look, look at those really inflamed brick red gums in, in that animal. Or to say, look, have you had a toothache before? Well, imagine how how, yeah. how many teeth are aching in your dog there. Um, you know how annoying it is to have a toothache before you have a filling or, or it looked at by the dentist. And you were talking about the that uh, initial phone call and, um, and I love the little, um, well, if you're worried enough about it to call, then you should make an appointment uh, script. But also... Also, I think um, uh, uh, the, the preservation reflex story that um, most of the clients that are phoning us up are talking about our exotic and avian species and they're concealing their clinical signs. So if an owner is calling up and, um, and they can see that something's wrong in the context of the preservation reflex, that means something's really wrong. So we should definitely make an appointment really, really quickly. Absolutely. Um, and another one you sort of had on the list, Mark, is um, relating to the hassles and dealing with rabbit abscesses. And I think you're talking about was it dental abscesses or rabbit abscesses generally? A bit of both, Brendan. A bit of both. I think one of the things that we get to see, you know, we get lots of these cases referred to us. And, um, and I think uh, lots of people have experience with... Um, you know, with a dog or a cat that has an abscess and uh, and obviously sometimes they need, those animals need a short uh, 
surgical procedure, maybe a drain placed in a course of antibiotics, and uh, and there is a high likelihood that that's going to uh, completely end the episode. Um, whereas I need, I find that I need to convey to my um, rabbit-loving clients the the um, much more serious nature of um, of rabbit abscesses, and while we do get our proportion of them that uh, that we're able to resolve, um, there's a significant number of them that uh, that are going to recur, and um, and often using the analogy that uh, they're less like abscesses in other species and more like cancers, raises the level of um, of seriousness in the client's mind and does. Give them, you know, just changes the context and expectation so that they realise there is a chance that we might be revisiting this uh, once or twice after the uh, initial intervention. Yes, and I think tied in with that is the next comment or thought you had on the list, and that's um, explaining cost or, or chatting about costs of things and and, the, and and relating that to species as well, Mark. So there's a few things in this particular process, isn't there? Um, perhaps, yeah, you should explain what you were talking about to me <laughs> off air about the um, expense and... Uh, well, there's two. There is. Cons- yeah, there's, there's actually three or four bits, isn't there? And so I'll like, yeah, um, my away first, you go. My first one was... Um, uh, that it, I'm often ha- often having the conversation with people about um, you know uh, we treat lots of mice we treat lots of zebra finches and budgerigars um, and many of these animals will be acquired for not very much money at all um, and when we present those clients with a, a significant estimate of costs that um, we might generate in an invoice, um, you know, there's often a profound moment of sticker shock. And one of the, the phrases that I find helps people get over that, and, and they may still decide not to go ahead, but um, if I explain to them that, you know, the, the invoice is for the treatment that we're going to um, to expend on that animal and not and that's not related necessarily to the, the the value of the animal. That we can spend as much uh, on a on a and and on a, you know, we can do as much medically and surgically on an animal that costs two or three dollars as we can on one that costs ten or twenty thousand dollars. And so um, the value of the animal doesn't determine the actual uh, cost of the procedures we do. It may well have an, an influence on how many of those procedures or how extensive clients are prepared to go, but those procedures are uh, the same um, irrespective of the cost of the animal. The other one, Brendan, um, yes. that I... <laughs> The the other one is um, I I, um, don't think I'm um, telling any, I don't think I'm breaking any confidences to report that. We have um, uh, the op, uh, an ophthalmology service that um, uh, consults out of um, rooms at our hospital once every few months and they have a they're specialists. They have a relatively steep consult fee and uh, progress exam fee. Um, and there have been times I've taken a couple of days off just to hang out with them because I love learning about eyes. And we have had some times where they've had clients come in um, 
see the veterinarian who whacks on their special glasses, has a look at the eye, and then they're out of the consult room in under 130 seconds. Um, and a couple of those people have then arced up about the, uh, you know, the the quantum of uh, money that um, that's being asked for for the consult fee, and uh, and of course the the my good friend the ophthalmologist said uh, rather succinctly that um, that uh, that that he's not there being paid um, on a per minute or per hour basis. Um, what he's asking people to pay for is the accumulated knowledge, the time that he's put in to have the skill and experience to be able to make a diagnosis in that time frame, um, which is a considerable investment on his behalf. And so um, oftentimes when that's explained to people, that will make a difference to their understanding of value. Yes. And do you want to go into a little bit more depth about the value of the pet and, and judging or prejudging the client as well about the particular species they, they bring in and potentially how much they will or will not spend on that animal. Well, it is an, it's an interesting phenomenon that I recognise at our hospital that we regularly talk to people who, um, who, who love their animal, who want to get something done, but one of the factors limiting them in moving forward with... Uh, with uh, you know, investing in a procedure or a, an intervention is um, is the perception that you know um, my parents will think I'm silly for spending this on a chicken, or um, my uh, friends in the in the team I play sport in think I'm a fool for um, you know spending this much on a budgerigar. Um, and one of the things that um, that I find gives a lot of well. Um, context, I suppose, um, is that um, a lot of the time people think they're the only one who would conceive of doing this. Um, and so it, I often see that light bulb moment um, of um, validation and permission, um, say with a budgerigar owner who's who's um, struggling with um, spending a lot of money on their bird. Um, and when we let them know that we see budgerigars, you know, five times a day, um, and that regularly people spend thousand, two thousand dollars on surgery for their bird. When they don't feel that they're the only one doing it, um, they often feel much more comfortable moving forward. Brendan, yeah, absolutely. And I think it's and and it's that you know just because it is a rat or X species is what they often proceed their their general comments about you know um, feeling embarrassed about um, and it isn't just a rat you know they may love that rat just as much as as a, a horse that cost you know hundreds of thousands of dollars or, or a dog that cost um, many many thousands of dollars so well it's a recognized, be- it's a recognized thing these days that um, that some people end up feeling guilty because they have a greater emotional attachment to their companion animal than maybe some of the people in their lives that they're more upset at the demise of their dog than maybe, um, you know, uh, um, a relative or, um, and, and I don't think you can underestimate just the difference in species doesn't necessarily, uh, delineate, uh, 
um, the the emotional attachment that people will have to to any given animal, and I don't think we can underestimate that. Yes, and I think it's a a trap for new veterinarians and also nurses or, or technicians um, who are not used to dealing with unusual pets um, in that they think, oh, it's it's a rat or it's a budgie coming in, so oh, we'll just charge, you know, a half-price consult because we don't know much about them and it's only a rat or it's only a mouse. Um, and when you look at, stand back and look at it, you we, we spend much more time um, going through the husbandry and the setup, even if you don't know that much about them, than you would if it's a dog or cat that's just coming in for a simple vaccination. So your actual time that you're spending with that patient is a lot more, so you should be charging appropriately for them. But a lot of vets who are inexperienced or not dealing with those species all the time will, will uh, um, do the exact opposite for them, you know. And clients, it's, I think you've said several times, you know, clients appreciate um, good service and they often... Um, you know, appreciate the fact that if something um, is costing um, a reasonable amount of money, then then hopefully they'll see the value of that as well. Um, and that if it was, if you're discounting it down severely and saying, "Look, this is only fifty dollars that I'm charging you for this process," then they may only view it as um, something that's not very um, valued. If that makes sense. Well, the other thing I think that I I see. Um, quite regularly with my work on the board, Brendan, is that um, as veterinarians, we may think we're doing people a favour by um, by lowering that um, invoice, um, but I can guarantee you they don't expect anything. You know, they don't expect they don't give us a pass that we can cut corners and do things less. They still have the same very high expectations, and a lot of complaints are generated from that precise situation that. Uh, a veterinarian thinks that they're going to be given a, a, a um, bit of latitude because they're doing things at a discount fee um, when um, when the clients um, will expect just the very same high standard. Um, whatever they're paying, they expect the best care for their animals. So we may as well just charge them properly for it. Yes, yes. Um, now, did you have any other quick communication tips for dealing with clients or, or getting across messages to clients Matt was there any others that you that we had on the list or the other ones that we wanted to cover in this they were the main ones the other one that I find um uh, they, the, well, there was a question I had for you and there was one other one I was going to mention the question I have for you is do you think there's a particular species that generates a um a disproportionate emotional attachment is there one of the species that you get to see that you regularly find people very, very bonded to? Mm, well, the two that would spring to mind for me would be um, the two R's, rabbits yes. and rats or rabbits and rodents. What about you, Mark? Isn't this an amazing thing about unusual and exotic pet practice that um, that it, it does seem to be the case that... Um, uh, the people that own rabbits and the people that own rats are, are often hugely bonded to their animals. I can see the, the whole rat story is no big surprise to me because rats are um, uh, hugely interactive. They're smart. They're active. You know, they're crepuscular, so they're active at times. People are home from work. Um, they're, they're, they are 
wonderful companion animals, and so I understand how people get attached to them. Um, rabbits, oh, I always find them much harder to uh, understand how how people form those immense bonds. Um, they are um, phylogenetically different. They're a prey animal. They behave differently and um, not as um, predictably or uh, what's the right way to describe it? I think um, a good analogy is that um, dogs share a lot of... Um, uh, sort of social behaviours with people. And so it's just natural that we um, recognise the sorts of behaviours that dogs are going to perform. And while rabbits are social animals, I don't think a lot of their social interactions are easily... Um, there, there's no easy analogy with um, human behaviour. So I am always surprised how desperately attached some people get to their um, rabbits. Not that I invalidate it, but it just comes as a surprise to me. So they were the two species that you thought of. They were straight away. It's amazing because this it wasn't. We didn't chat about this. You dumped this question on me, didn't you? Yeah. Uh, live in the podcast, and there was another. Was there one other thing you wanted to chat about, or that was it? No, that'll that'll that, that'll get us to our uh, time. I know the uh, the outro man's just hanging in the wings there, and the time is precious for our. One subscriber in Bosnia Herzegovina um, because they're about to send us an email and tell us all about themselves. So we look forward to that and we'll talk to you all next week. Thanks for listening to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus. Don't forget to visit us at the website vetgurus.com where you can subscribe, view show notes, listen to previous episodes and more. You can contact us via email at vetgurus at gmail.com to ask a question or just say hi. Thanks again and see you next time.